G'day mate, 40 here, North Palm Beach, North Sydney, listening to Richard Spencer here talking about the late William Pierce. Look, it, it, well, these days everyone's lonely, but, uh, you know, if you're an intellectual... No, no, not everyone's lonely. <laughs> uh, people who have marginalised themselves, people who significantly misread reality and alienated themselves from family and friends and community and from their educational institutions... Right. If you've been failing at life and not being a good friend and speaking and acting in antisocial ways, then then you're going to be much more likely to be lonely. Well, if you're highly controversial, if, if if someone might get fired for you know meeting with you or something like that, then then it can get lonely. I, I actually think Nick is feeling some of this now. I, I have absolutely felt it. But also, being intellectually lonely is is even kind of more difficult because you know I've. I'm not an expert on Pierce. I have I have listened to some of the stuff. I've um, I kind of skimmed through this book uh, that someone sent me. But at the end of the day, he's like a guy with a 150 IQ hanging around with KKK members. And you know, I don't know if he ever had anyone that he could bounce something off of. The only person he could bounce something off of was old Billy Bob, who you know has been arrested five times for armed robbery. <laughs> So there are a lot of rabbis with similar challenges. So Yehiel Yaakov Weinberg, a Srita Aish, was a great rabbi in Europe. He survived the concentration camps. He was living after World War II in Switzerland. And he got an invite to come to Yeshiva University. But he didn't want to come to Yeshiva University because then he would have been number two to the Rav, Joseph Bear Soloveitchik, right? And he didn't want to go to another institution because that also would have meant he would have been number two. So Yehiel Jakob Weinberg would rather be number one in this small Swiss community rather than being number two at Yeshiva University and be right in the thick of things. So rabbis have egos, political activists have egos, it's really easy to have an ego that, that gets out of control or that really works against your best interests. So some people just have to be the star and you know, other people would rather be part of an all-star team. So like someone like Dennis Prager, right, he says, you know, I'd rather be part of an all-star team than be a star. And that would also that would also affect his tone because he would naturally become more strident or become more he would try to sort of dramatize things more uh, mm-hmm. to, get, to get a response from that audience right because that audience would be more responsive with a dramatic tone right mm-hmm. so definitely yeah. so that may have um, yeah but I guess to bring it back to what we were saying before so I mean the the, the uh, Birch Society was a major thing they opposed. The degree to which they were ever anti-Semitic and or racist I, I, is actually dubious. I mean, Revelo Oliver, as a member, who was expelled, you know, after all, notwithstanding, they they probably did on some level oppose the Civil Rights Act for the same reason that all of these southern states voted for Goldwater in 1964. You know, they justified it through libertarianism, etc. And the membership of the John Birch Society was you know, pretty close to about 99% white. ultimately did it for racial reasons. Maybe reasons that were even unknown to themselves, maybe. You know, like they weren't even willing in private to talk about what was happening, but they, they nevertheless acted on that behalf. 
And yeah, I mean, realignment in 1964, which kind of took until 1994 to really be fully operational, but it definitely started that. I mean, these are the same, the same. Well, Richard Nixon won on the Southern strategy in 1968-72, which was opposing the civil rights movement, you know, appealing to Southern whites who started voting Republican for the first time. And the Republican Party, which had been anathema in the South, begins dominating the South. Same people who became Republicans were also like voting for the Dixiecrats in 1948 because Truman desegregated the military. So I mean, it, it, it's regardless of how they talk about it, it's their their actions speak louder than words. They're they're motivated by these racial fears and you know so on. Um, but so they did that. I don't I don't know if there's anything. I don't know if there's some like smoking gun regarding anti-Semitism in the John Birch Society, although it is true. I mean, I kind of agree with the left where if you start going down these roads of... So I went to a John Birch Society meeting about uh, eight years ago, and I think it was about the, the threat of Islam to, to Europe, and I went with uh, a great, I think, Serbian intellectual... And yeah, there were like you know, there was like one or one person there. I think it was like very crankly anti-Jewish, but there were at least as many people there who are pretty passionately Zionist, pro Bibi Netanyahu. Conspiratorial thinking. You're not inevitably, but you're pretty much likely to end up in some kind of you know conspiracy land about the Jews, and I think you you end up in a place where you really do misunderstand them. You, you end up with the protocols of the elders of Zion, basically. Not necessarily. There are many counterexamples for that, but there's a tendency towards it. So I bet a lot of its members did go that way. But anyway, they were attacked by William of Buckley National Review. Now, back in 1963 or whenever it happened, I, or it might have actually been 64. It was, it was once Goldwater had been fully nominated. Um, National Review was the thing. I mean, there's no comparison in a way because there are just there were so few. There was no Internet, obviously. There's just so few conservative outlets that this was the movement right there. And they basically said, they, he attacked Robert Welch on the basis of his book, The Politician, but in this kind of crafty way, he didn't attack the members. And so he said, there are all these good members, but they've been led astray by Robert Welch. He was actually kind of bullshit, to be honest. I'm sure Robert Welch was, like, more sane. Right, you can only be led astray if you want to be led astray, right? People can't force you to go down different intellectual paths unless those paths appeal to your nature. Same than 90% of his members. <laughs> but anyway, that's what he did. And it actually did work. Um, so members of the John Birch Society, like members of any other ostracized group, tend to be pretty sane in most of their decisions. It's just that they have an interest in a particular narrative that seems from an outside perspective insane. But in the way they... They run their families and do their jobs. Right, seem very sane. Right, so Hugo Mercier, French neuroscientist, makes this point in his excellent book, Not Born Yesterday, that uh, like believing in nonsense about some abstract issue doesn't uh, necessarily shape how how you live your life. There's no price to be paid. It's just uh, you get entertainment and meaning from believing in the conspiracy. 
And so, a lot of conspiracies don't necessarily or, or ruin your at least life. Coincided. Uh, you know, not didn't necessarily work. It at least coincided with the Birch Society. I believe the Birch Society is still around. I think so. Um, I think around. Yeah. And I remember going to CPAC 10 years ago or so, and they actually had a booth. And it was actually really funny because they had these full color, like, printouts where they had, like, you know, for a constitutional America or something. And they had, like, multiracial children. So it was like, oh, they clearly picked it, like, they clearly taken it from, like, a stock photo. So there was, like, a black kid, and, you know, like an Asian kid, and then a white kid, and then a Mexican kid. Like, it was just so, it was almost like, I, I don't even think a liberal would be that, like, you know, blatant or something. It was just PC and. They also would probably tell people that, like, oh, we don't believe in conspiracy theories or something. And it's like, okay, well, then what are you talking about? So it's just ultimately, it's ultimately devolved into, like, basic bitch conservatism, doc, but, like, parchment worship, you know, the Constitution. It's like, yes, you know. Like, this is why Republicans, this is why, like, it's ultimately so irredeemable, American conservatism. It's okay, this is nonsense. Conservatism, basic bitch conservatism, Republicanism, it's not irredeemable. Right? Most important message that Republicans and conservatives offer is let's lock up the people who commit violent crime keep them locked up until at least age 50 right? you lock these people up you would significantly decrease the murder rate and you would double the quality of life for Americans who are being affected by violent crime so you don't have to be an explicit victim of violent crime to be victimized by it in that you live a smaller life, you go fewer places, you have to spend more on security, you have to spend more of your mental powers thinking about you know, staying safe. Right, that's basic bitch conservatism and republicanism and lock up violent criminals for a long time. That's a very important message. To think that this is irredeemable is absurd. I guess it's boring. You lock up people who do bad things. You keep them locked up. It's not exciting. It's not cutting edge. It just works. Just dramatically improves the quality of life for millions of Americans. And then the other facets of basic bitch conservatism, which would dramatically improve the quality of life, is to stop subsidizing bad behavior, start incentivizing good behavior. So right now, if you go on disability, people tend to stay on disability for life. Well, maybe we should change those incentives around. It's just, ugh, I find yeah. it more odious as not pretty philosophy than like leftism at this point. Yeah. yeah, why do you find that odious? Like lock up violent criminals and restructure social welfare spending and taxation so that you incentivize good productive behavior and you disincentivize antisocial behavior. But, that, you know, that's, that's what it is. And, you know, I, I think it's very interesting. I think they're almost headed back. I mean, this, this is another, I'm, uh, this is a digression a bit, but I, I think I wouldn't underestimate the degree to which the conservative movement is headed backwards. And I don't mean that as value judgment. Headed backwards to where they were maybe 15 years ago. Um, one interesting thing, I just saw two little notes on this. Um, I'm, I'm taking...